Welcome to Taiwan on Air, 空中直播台湾 Hello, everyone. This is Adina Zemanek, one of the hosts of this podcast series. Today, we are here for a conversation about film. Our guest is Maya Corbetta. Hello, Maya. Hi, hi. It's it's great to be here. Maya is a PhD candidate at the Graduate School of East Asian Studies at the Free University of Berlin. She's working on a project that is called Film Festivals in China: Reorienting China's Art Cinema. Maya has also worked as a programmer for the Five Flavors Asian Film Festival in Warsaw, and has also extensively engaged in freelance journalism and film criticism. Now, before we start,、uh, Maya, please allow me to say a few words about the films that we're going to discuss today. The first is going to be Small Talk, a film released in 2016, directed by Huang Huizhen. We're also going to refer to Ten Years Taiwan, the work of five directors, a film released in 2018. We also talk about Cities of Last Things, directed by Hou Yiting, released in 2018. Another film called As We Like It by Chen Chongyi and Moni Wei from 2021. And finally, about the most recent film, A Cure for All Things by Catherine Zhou, released in 2022. The topics that we're going to be discussing about today. Are those of sci-fi, queer, and families? And while families in the Sinophone sphere have had a very long relevance, a century-long relevance, the other topics, that of queer and sci-fi, have recently gained in prominence both worldwide and in Taiwan. So we're going to address the topics of queer and sci-fi as central ones, and then we'll use the topic of the family as a background for discussion. And let us start with queer. Maya, if we could first start from the concept itself of queer cinema, of the potential of this concept and its relevance for Taiwan. When it comes to queer cinema, when we first think about queer cinema, we definitely can be defined as films who depict queer people diegetically. So it's very much connected with identity and also with sexual orientation. But on the other side, it's better not. To actually see queer cinema only through this lens, because there is actually a danger of instrumentalizing identities or representational content. So it's actually not to fetishize or not to turn identity into an item that can be sold. Because yeah, definitely queer cinema is also a, a label that is used by distributors also and at film festivals as part of marketing also, but definitely as part of a program that showcases films about LGBTQ people,、um, the issues related to them. For example, I, I think that when it comes to Asian cinemas, a very interesting example in this is comparing Tsai Mingyang with Apichat、uh, Pongbarasadakul, filmmaker from Thailand. For example, when it comes to Tsai Mingyang, Malaysian Chinese who is working in in Taiwan for a very long time already, and he's one of the most celebrated filmmakers in Taiwan and also in general in global art cinema. Tsai Mingyang is very often labeled as an actor of queer cinema, especially at film festivals and also like in film education books,、uh, film studies. Also, his identity as a filmmaker and the content of his films is very much branded by this label, queer cinema. But for example, when we think about Abhijatpo and Barasadakul, whose films are not so explicitly about LGBTQ people, although he himself is identifying as gay, his films are just kind of put outside of this bracket of queer cinema, and he's more related with just this very, very general notion of art cinema. 
So when it comes to that category, labeling at, at film festivals. And another definition that I would love to point out is, is actually a definition that looks at queer cinema broader. I mean, not necessarily only connected with LGBTQ issues and the issues of representation, but also the problem of reception of cinema itself. For example, Laura Marvick noticed that actually the way that we consume Hollywood films, classic Hollywood films, also demands that the film and spectator actually shifts her identification and actually often adopting a position of a male character and identifying with the male character. Also, queer cinema is something about actually transgression in when it comes to identity. And yeah, actually a little bit can be connected with psychoanalysis this way that actually films affect us uh, subconsciously, how we start to operate and how we start to receive films. It's about this gender fluidity, not necessarily only in the representation that we see on the screen, but also in the way that we decode and the way that we project and identify while watching a film. So it's uh, also about how the films position the audience and what the films encourage audiences to do. Yes, I mean, for example, because we tend to actually identify with characters that are in motion, that have some sort of power to affect the narrative and to push the story forward. For example, in classical cinema, it's mostly the male hero. I see, but in queer cinema, spectators, viewers, are encouraged to identify in alternative ways. Queer cinema allows us to empathize with the characters that were kind of excluded from classical cinema, from mainstream films mostly. But it is very interesting also when it comes to the reception of the films that are not labeled as queer cinema, because there are different ways of interpreting. For example, a very interesting issue is the queer reading of films that were not meant to be read like that. So for example, looking for LGBTQ identities within narratives intended as heterosexual. So for example, when it comes to cinephone sphere, it could be, for example, looking for some queer elements in kung fu films, in melodramas. So genres that are extremely masculine, extremely feminine. I mean, in this very stereotypical gender categories, it's something about subconsciousness and the way that actually a film, after being released, it is a being on its own. And it can be read and interpreted and mixed and re-edited in many ways. And not necessarily only in the software, but the way that people read films, it's also re-editing them and making them their own. Okay, I see. So in terms of queer representation, the positioning of the viewer that it's somehow encoded in the film and in terms of what audiences can actually do with the films and how can remix and reinterpret the films. So in these three terms, what kind of potential do you think that these films that we are going to focus on today, what kind of potential do they have? Or how does each of them address this issue of queer? Let's shift this question a bit and talk about how the films that we selected address this issue of queer. Is it central? Is it in terms of representation, potential for audiences? I think that the films selected are very, very diverse. It's obvious that small talk actually centers on LGBTQ issues because the main character is the mother of the filmmaker herself. 
And the mother is identifying herself as lesbian, has been lesbian for the whole time, but was forced to get married and actually forced to find her place in this heteronormative framework, the depiction of queer people within the film itself. So it's it's the most straightforward. But on the other side, I think the queer element in Small Talk is not only the mother of the filmmaker, but also the issue of motherhood itself. So it's the issue that actually connects the mother of the filmmaker and the filmmaker herself, because she is having a little baby also on her own. And she's just kind of also confronted with this experience of motherhood that is very, very transgressive. It's very, very strange when we really think about it. It's something that I think also is a quite central topic in small talk. Because the filmmaker actually wants not only to understand her mother as a lesbian, but also understand her mother as, well, a woman that also went through this horrifying, I think, but also great transgressive process of becoming a mother. So it's just this intergenerational dialogue about motherhood and how motherhood is actually a very, very queer experience. When it comes to 10 Years Taiwan, directed by uh, Rina Tso, in which the two nurses actually fall in love and they want to escape from this closed hospital together and to kind of get over the trauma of sexual abuse. Yeah, and there's another queer character, a gay couple in Jiaozi. So it's a fragment directed by Xie Pei Ru, which is very, very satirical. But I, I think that we will talk about it more afterwards when it comes to significance and commentary on queerness in Taiwan and LGBTQ rights, uh, I guess. I think that we can view sci-fi itself as a genre, as something very queer, something quite transgressive, something that has potential for us to envision a world that is not necessarily familiar. But I think when it comes to this issue of familiarity of the cinematic world in cities of last things, it's something also that it's it's very interesting because it's not as unfamiliar as this sci-fi costume might indicate. When it comes to cities as of last things, I don't really see much queerness about the film because it's actually quite conservative and it feels very old for me. There's nothing bad about my perspective, obviously, but it's this way of telling the story that it's very... Uh, I don't really see what's the point of it anymore. What do you mean? Because we were supposed to talk about problematic issues in this film, whether they are conservative or progressive. So could you say more about this? In what sense does this masculine perspective in storytelling, in what sense is it no longer relevant? Or how is this film old? For me, it's just this film envisions Taiwan that we know from the films from the 90s, for example from the films that actually became very famous at uh, film festivals. There are definitely scenes from in the film that definitely depict Taiwan as we see it now, also just living there, like sitting on a bus or just walking through the city, going to the apartments. But the whole film is actually about the main character's trauma and his issues with women. The women are not really allowed to speak out for themselves, like the female characters. They're just um, function in this film to actually help in the characterization of the main character. The function of female characters are to actually serve the depiction of the protagonist. So they themselves, they don't really, we don't know what they want. We kind of know where they come from because it's used as an item in this whole story. The way that they are characterized, it's only in reference to the protagonist, to the male character. 
but they themselves they don't really have their own agency at all. For me, there is nothing interesting about it, and it's not old-fashioned. Because old-fashioned, I, I feel that it's not a bad word. A lot of old things are great, but not that sort of narrative that is presented in this film. Okay, I see. So this film is not queer in the sense that it's not challenging the viewer in any way and is employing cliches and is very strongly centered on building the main male character. Is that right? Yes, yes, that, that is definitely the right. I mean, it's the sci-fi is supposed to be speculative. It is supposed to question the way that the reality works, the way that the systems, the institution work. But this film doesn't question it at all, so there is nothing queer about it, I think. Or sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is this essence of sci-fi that is actually very queer, but there is this sci-fi costume or like genre conventions that can be very much itemized and used for the purpose of being cool. Yeah, just for this purpose of having the label of sci-fi, which is just very attractive. The label of sci-fi is attractive. Very fashionable. Yes. Okay, that's also a question I wanted to ask because small talk is a very personal, very impactful in emotional terms film. And it's interesting because I didn't think about the mention of motherhood as queer in small talk. So small talk is centered on queer issues. And I think that it also challenges expectations, at least of some people in Taiwan, belonging to a certain generation, not being accustomed to speak about queer issues explicitly. So small talk is centered on queer. But what about the other film, 10 Years Taiwan? This theme occurs in two of the five small films that compose 10 Years Taiwan. But is it central or is it simply a fashionable addition, just like sci-fi is in Cities of Last Things? What do you think about this? Can we go back to this issue of irony or satire that you mentioned for the dumplings fragment and also address what happens in the, I think it was the first one, about the nurse where the square theme occurs. I think with the fragment that is directed by Rina Tso about the nurses, there is so many topics that she wants to discuss in this short film. That is just too much. I mean, she focuses on migrant issues, on sexual abuse, and also on a lesbian relationship. But I think in this fragment, queerness is definitely juxtaposed against heterosexuality as something that is marked by abuse and violence. I think for me, it's a little bit too painstaking. The filmmaker actually adds this layer, another topic, another plot of lesbian relationship between the two nurses. For me, it actually degrades and kind of blurs the topics that she is already discussing in this short film. And I would say that it is added due to reasons of also being fashionable, except for this juxtaposition with heterosexuality. But I think it's just a little bit too extreme because it clearly marks LGBTQ identity as something that is definitely positive and good and heterosexual identity as something that is marred by some sort of violence and something that is in a way degenerate and corrupt. And I don't really like this sort of opposition because for me, queerness and queer cinema is being tolerant and open to all things and heterosexuality the same. You shouldn't be rejecting heterosexuality also. It's a non-binary view of the world. There, there is no opposition between heterosexuality and being LGBTQ. That's why I don't see how this opposition in Renato's short film can be productive. 
or like can be viewed as queer cinema. For example, when it comes to the, the short film directed by Xie Peiru, it's actually my favorite in the whole film. Gay, gay couple is actually a, a part of this commercial that is being filmed. The short film takes place on a film set. So it's actually this very um, metacritical in a way when it comes to also film industry itself and also marketing and advertisement. And within it, this very, very closed up world, this very, very small kind of abstract world of marketing and advertisement, we are seeing um, a film crew on set trying to make a New Year's commercial about dumplings, just to promote this one uh, company that produces dumplings. The commercial actually tells a story of a family dinner, New Year's uh, Eve dinner. They encounter a problem because the birth rate is so low in Taiwan that actually there is not enough of toddlers and newborns. And the film crew cannot find any baby that could act in the commercial alongside these grown-up actors that all play uh, a family. The heterosexual couple is actually switched to a gay couple having a baby. So I think it's, it's just interesting how Shepeiru actually pays attention to this issue of also political correctness, because I view it as also political correctness and this um, highlighting of LGBTQ rights, especially gay rights. Because when we think about LGBTQ, this term itself, it, it is also very troubled with hierarchy of representation. For example, that gay rights and gay uh, representation is definitely privileged. I mean, globally also, but in Taiwan, definitely also uh, privileged and very much highlighted. Yeah, when it comes to um, like lesbian representation in Taiwan, definitely it is very strong but not as strong as um, gay representation in cinema also and in, in public space. And it is also that uh, the the issue that small talk points towards. Yeah, and uh, like going back to LGBTQ, I think it, within this term, actually the representation of bisexual characters and bisexual rights, I mean, the B is the most problematic of them all. Actually, I, I think because it's it's totally non-binary, it's very open, it's very L and G can be also viewed in this dual way, binary way. And B is just open, Q the same. It's even more open of a of a term. But it is not necessarily only uh, connected to sexuality, whereas B is. Within this bundle, the B is the most problematic for um, also in cinema, and uh, I guess in, in society overall. And in Taiwanese cinema as well? I can't really think about any bisexual character on screen right now in Taiwanese films. Yeah, actually, when we think about it, there's really not a lot of bisexual characters portrayed in cinema overall. It is very problematic, I, I guess. <laughs> okay. Now, do we need to talk about any other topics related to, uh, to queer before we pass on to sci-fi? Um, yeah, we haven't talked about um, the short film, A Cure for All Things. Oh, yes. Which I think is just brilliant. I mean, it's, it's a short film, but it's, it offers this very, very interesting perspective. This short film uh, tells a very simple story of a woman that actually organizes her mother's apartment after her mother died. And uh, she goes into a kitchen and opens up a fridge because she's thirsty. And um, she decides to drink this 
some sort of drink that her mother uh, prepared. And suddenly, after drinking it, she's possessed by her ancestors, female ancestors, and also female descendants, which I, I think is just very interesting commentary on this. I mean, also sisterhood, this issue of sisterhood within the family and this sort of connection and the sort of shared experience between mother, daughter, grandmother, female members of the family. Because I noticed that um, in patriarchal society, there is this dynamic that actually the one that is the most rigid when it comes to actually policing women are other women. So it's actually setting women against women in patriarchal society. I mean, mother kind of policing the daughter for, for not uh, living up to the sort of gender standards, for example, or for not living up to this gender role that she's supposed to fit in. It's actually very progressive in a way that instead of projecting this conflict between female members of the family, Catherine Cho envisions this strong connection between the main character and her uh, female ancestors and descendants. Again, it, it is very great idea that the filmmaker doesn't limit herself to the ancestors. And she, she kind of plays with this idea of ancestral worship, also very much connected to, to the ceremony of funerals and ancestral worship. The filmmaker also includes the descendants. So it's, again, this sort of science fiction element that I think it's not necessarily, maybe it's itemized a little bit, but I think it's used in a, in a way that is very, very surprising and very fresh, and especially in, in Taiwanese uh, context. So that is connecting the sci-fi elements, the introduction of this potion that the, the protagonist drinks with the family context and the theme of family line with regard to women established by women rather than men. Oh, yes. Yeah, there, there is this also issue of uh, matriarchat instead of patriarchat. It is very interesting, this uh, line of female ancestors, descendants. When it comes to the queer experience here, it is actually being possessed and also being kind of open and transgressive. It very, very much relates to this yet yeah, transgressive experience of being possessed, even though it, if it's within the same family, but it's still different people. Yeah, but it really very much talks to this idea of shared experience and heritage within the family and within the gender also. All right, so we were talking about the queer potential of a cure for all things, consisting in the fact that this film depicts a transgressive experience or, or an identity centered on being more than oneself, on going beyond the limits of an individual and seeing that, placing that individual in a continuum of both ancestors and descendants in a female line. So the sci-fi here is uh, connected to a queer aspect and, uh, and to the old theme of the family in interesting ways. To pass on to the topic of sci-fi, we also established that uh, Cities of Last Things, despite the most recent episode section of that film being connected to the future and future technology, that's the sci-fi element, that film is familiar at the same time. And the aspect of being old or too familiar, you found quite problematic. What about the other films? You define sci-fi as a kind of projection, also challenging or encouraging reflection on established institutions. What about sci-fi, the sci-fi element in the other films? Ten Years Taiwan, As We Like It, 
in 10 Years Taiwan, the, the whole framework of the film is to try to envision Taiwan in 10 years, basically, which is very, very near future, but it's still very speculative. Within this film, each filmmaker actually treated it very differently. For example, from a very obvious application of sci-fi costume in, for example, the short film directed by Liao Kefa, in which the filmmaker actually refers to many conventions and, and also well-known narratives that were previously also used in different films. For example, like the issue of being in a, this closed uh, recreational center and having um, problems with dreaming. It's mostly just the location and the costume that is very much sci-fi. In 10 years, I won the first part, actually, I guess the closest to reality, the contemporary times, because the first part takes place on Orchid Island and um, it deals with issues of nuclear waste and the pollution and the consequences that the storage of nuclear waste near um, Orchid Island brought to the people who live on, on the island. And also when it comes to changes in the environment and just turning Orchid Island in this state that is unlivable. So it's, it's definitely also, uh, again, the queer aspect of this sort of strange experience of the way that the nature works. It's a, a little bit like this experience of living in a disrupted world that suddenly becomes unfamiliar. And if nature becomes unfamiliar, it's something very, very sci-fi also. <laughs> Again, in, in 10 Years Taiwan, in, uh, the third short film, it's centering on the issue of migration. And the sci-fi element in this short film, a little bit connected with the worship or the gods. Because um, I noticed that this short film, it could have happened definitely in contemporary day Taiwan. And like the migration from rural areas to the cities has been happening for such a long time, for decades. And the, the sci-fi element is the weakest in this film. And it's all basically only connected with this perspective of opening and closing the film from the point of view shot of a god on the altar. It's, it's basically the only sci-fi element for me in, within this film. Yeah, I mean, we already discussed dumplings. In this short film, uh, the sci-fi element is basically connected to low birth rate and the consequences of it to the whole Taiwanese society. It's very interesting to observe how each filmmaker treated the sci-fi element in a very, very different way, but it's all actually applied to discuss problems that are very contemporary to Taiwan. They're not problems that are the ones of the future, but the ones of the now. The usage of sci-fi in this film it is actually to talk about, not necessarily about the future, but about the present society and to actually warn of possible escalation of the current problems. It's very interesting, this sort of usage of sci-fi. Paradoxically, it's not as connected to the future as we might be thinking. Judging by the title, at least. Uh, what about As We Like It? The world that we are seeing in As We Like It seems to be taking place in the near future, as I remember it. I mean, just to introduce the film very shortly, it is a contemporary queer rendition of Shakespeare's play, As You Like It. So actually, this film takes place in, in Ximending, which is actually projected as this utopian space where there is no Wi-Fi connection. The use of technology is very, very limited. And the characters still have to have to use pigeons to actually communicate with each other or messengers. 
it's a very interesting look on uh, well this old term information society that is not very much used anymore uh, because it's it's obvious and it's so familiar for us now. So I I kept thinking actually with relation to this film as we like it. Previously, sci-fi was, or technological development, was something that was considered very much positive. It was considered as something um, also magical. Technology being equal to magic. And it is very strange to see that in As We Like It, this dynamic is totally rejected. This idea of technology as magic is rejected and technology is rendered as something very mundane, very daily. This element that doesn't have anything marvelous about it anymore. Even though when we think about it, for example, of even our relationship to technology, for example, the Wi-Fi is just invisible. So it's a little bit like magic or like when it comes to different hardware if it breaks down, we still kind of try to repair it just by, I don't know, kicking it or by yelling at it or like by speaking, persuading it. Technology more and more transitions from this area of sci-fi to actually this area of reality and of social realism and of, mo- of the mundane and of everyday life. So in As We Like It, this total re- rejection of technology is something very, well, on the other side, quite interesting, but also it feels very old. That was actually my first reception of this idea of Shimending as this area where there is no Wi-Fi. It's just this bucolic utopia that is definitely very much connected to uh, the Shakespearean original, where the story is set not in the city, but in this bucolic, this idyllic countryside setting. It's something very, very much like utopia, thinking about Shimending as this paradise without technology. Because technology is connected with mundanity and daily life because we need it to work for us to work. It's only connected with making a living for majority of us. Instead, when there is no access to technology, we feel as if we are having the leisure time. Uh, we are free to actually not use technology. These oppositions shifted so quickly in, I guess, in the last 20 years that actually technology is not projected as something that is uh, liberating, that gives freedom, but something that makes us into slaves. Maybe not necessarily slaves, but just workers in the office, office workers. Because you haven't seen the film, I'm not sure if I should continue. That's fine. And I do hope that our conversation will encourage our listeners to watch the films for themselves. And now a fast question, actually, because I'm conscious of time, about the scope of these films. Cities of Last Things is available on Netflix, so it can reach audiences beyond Taiwan. But what about the other films? Have they found any echo beyond Taiwan? Have they been screened at international festivals? Have they been discussed beyond Taiwan as well? Or does Taiwan cinema use these topics of queer and, and sci-fi to convey a message about Taiwan or to engage in discussions that are regional or global? As far as I know, Small Talk had a very successful festival run. I am not actually not sure if it was distributed But definitely it was seen in many, many places. And due to its relevance, it is, it has been also screened at various events that are not necessarily film festivals. Yeah. When it comes to small talk, 
it was very relevant upon its release and has been seen globally also and very much discussed because whenever I mention the title, actually people have heard about this. So it was, it was quite successful outside of Taiwan, even though, yeah, when it comes to other films, even though 10 Years Taiwan was part of a franchise that actually uh, consisted of four films, the one made in Hong Kong, in Thailand, and also in Japan. But among these films, 10 Years original film, 2015, from Hong Kong, was the most successful of them all. And it was screened very broadly in many countries, and it has a, it had a very, very long festival run also. And it was very, very popular in Hong Kong, which is also very important comparing to 10 Years Taiwan that had a very limited distribution in Taiwan as well. The second part, 10 Years Thailand, had its premiere in Cannes, which automatically renders it as a very attractive title. <laughs> And definitely um, a film that was seen in many places around the world and also has been invited to many film festivals. When it comes to 10 Years Taiwan and 10 Years Japan, these two films, 10 Years Taiwan basically has been um, also made through crowdfunding. Yeah, overall, the project was quite underfunded and the distribution was very limited. Yeah, it has been uh, screened at Busan Film Festival in Taipei Film Festival. Singapore Chinese Film Festival, Hong Kong Asian Film Festival, and uh, in Italy, Across Asia Film Festival, which I have not heard about. And it was released in Taiwan in January 2019, but I remember that it was just a very, very short run. And I'm not sure if, if this film actually, the investment uh, was returned after the premiere. As We Like It was uh, invited to Rotterdam, where it premiered at International Film Festival Rotterdam. I know that it had been also um, invited to film festivals, especially the one, the specialized ones that are focusing on, on queer cinema. And it was released on DVD, and it definitely also had its premiere in Taiwan. But overall, it was not as successful as expected, looking at all the topics that it discusses. So it was invited to a New York Asian Film Festival, uh, Seoul International Women's Film Festival, uh, San Diego Asian Film Festival. Oh, it was also screened at Five Flavors, which I remember. I wasn't programming the section at that time. And when it comes to um, theatrical release, it was only in Taiwan. This film had some sort of potential also outside of Taiwan. And I was actually sure that it will be picked up by Netflix, but it hasn't so far. When it comes to A Cure for All Things, uh, the short film by Catherine Troll, it is available on Vimeo, I think, or it is available on YouTube. Personally, I saw this film in Berlin at uh, a program that was organized by a local film collective called Vivac. A Cure for All Things was also screened at Asian film festivals in the U.S., because the filmmaker is now based in the US. I see, thank you. So it seems that all of these films have had some exposure outside Taiwan, whether niche or broader. Much as I would like to continue this conversation, because it's very interesting, we would need to slowly wrap it up. So I would like to thank you very much, Maya, for taking part in this podcast. 
and for presenting these films in a way that encouraged me to watch the films that I haven't watched, such as As We Like It or, or A Cure for All Things, and to revisit the films that I actually watched. So I do hope that, uh, that this postcard is going to have the same kind of outcome with regard to our audience. So thank you, and I hope that our listeners will, will be able to source uh, at least part of these films. So thank you very much again. Thank you for invitation. It was a, a pleasure to talk about these films also and about queerness and about sci-fi in Taiwan. It's just the best topics ever. So thank you for inviting me to speak. Thank you for connecting this topic so well. Thanks again and uh, looking forward to our next meeting. <laughs> <laughs>